0: Welcome back to another episode of Sleigh House Presents. I'm your host, Trevor. With me today is our editor-in-chief over at Sleigh House Publishing, Jeremy Billingsley. Back, back. From, back from retirement.
1: I'm back. I haven't been retired. I have been in South America on an excursion to uh, map the, the Venezuelan poodle moth.
0: Retirement was... <laughs> more intended as a euphemism but okay
1: yeah yeah i've I've learned a lot about the venezuelan poodle moth and i am heading out on a three-week excursion to the pacific northwest where i'm going to learn the finer points of squatching
0: of squatching
1: (laughs) yeah that's that's uh looking for sasquatch
0: oh my father will join you on that journey i'm
1: spending sleigh house money wisely (laughs) (laughs)
0: Also joining us today is author J.B. McLaurin. When he's not playing drums in his band Impossible Machine or reading horror and crime fiction, J.B. McLaurin is arguing with his children about screen time. Slayhouse Publishing just released his novel, Black Echoes, and his short story, For the Children, was released under his real name, by Dark Lake Publishing, in the Theme is Revenge anthology. Welcome, JB. Hey, glad to be here. Um, So sorry that you have to be incorporated into our Abbott and Costello routine, but uh, welcome to Slayhouse, that's how we roll.
2: No, no, I'm excited that Jeremy's
0: going
1: squatching. Yeah, <laughs> if I can rope Laurel Hightower in, I think I can rope anybody in. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I will tell you, my father and mother both uh, discovered a, a new podcast recently. Uh, I think it's called the Blurry Creatures Podcast, and it's all they talk about. I go up to my dad's place, and he's he's watching like Travel Channel documentaries. We'll put those in in loose quotes, right? Uh, about Sasquatches. We but, didn't uh, really invite you here to talk about Sasquatches, but what is your hot take on the Sasquatch, JB? Uh,
2: I, I'm I'm a fan of uh, I've got a set of cryptid uh, paintings on my wall that my son my son is real into cryptozoology and uh, we're both huge fans of the Astonishing Legends podcast. And actually today I was listening to, I don't know if y'all listen to the uh, Kryptonaut podcast It's great, but so I'm, I'm a fan of the, uh, the hunt for, for Sasquatch and the uh, Astonishing Legends has a long series. I listened to on the Patterson Gimlin film. So I'm a, yeah. I'm a fan of Jeremy finally getting to the bottom of this. I think he's going to be the one.
1: <laughs> I am. I'm well, sensing if, like if a you're big... asking me if I've seen him yet, if I've seen him, I, I've got to say not yet. So. But oh God. Uh, yeah, bad joke.
0: I'm I'm sensing a corporate retreat now, though we're all gonna yeah, end you up can, in yeah
1: yeah the we're backwoods going a retreat And you can edit any bad jokes out in post, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm pretty good at editing in post. This is gonna stay in, but everything else okay. might go out. So JB, um, tell us a little bit about yourself because uh, Black Echoes was your debut novel with Slayhouse, um, and I kind of want a little. Bit of uh, backstory from you. You know who are you, and and how did you get into writing?
2: So I live in North Alabama in Huntsville, and grew up here. And I actually I'm I'm an attorney, I've been a criminal defense attorney for about twelve years, and was a public defender for about four years in South Florida, in West Palm. Which, if you read Black Echoes, it's, most of it is set in West Palm, starts in Alabama. And so my work as a criminal defense attorney and public defender absolutely informs Black Echoes. But I got into writing. I was late to it. So I was not somebody who had aspirations to be a writer when I was a kid. I wanted to be a drummer, which I still do. I became a lawyer. (laughs) I don't get to play in any bands anybody knows about, but I get to play in my band, Impossible Machine, with my buddies and I love it. But I wanted to be a drummer in a big rock band or a metal band. That was my thing. And so I reading honestly, when I was a kid, I felt like it was a chore. It was not something I it was something they made me do. And I just had too much energy. I couldn't sit still. And then when I got into college, I started reading more. And then in law school, they make you read all it's all you do. And so when we would have downtime breaks and and stuff, I started going to the bookstore getting into reading. And the big turning point for me was, she was my girlfriend at the time, my wife now was, she was watching me because I thought I had to read nonfiction, you know, really serious stuff. And then I thought I had, well, man, I've got to read whatever classic was, I've got to read Dickens. And actually, I do like Dickens. So I don't want to, I really, I really (laughs) do. But I was reading these books that I thought I was supposed to read, and kind of slogging through them. And one day, she, she just said, have you ever read any Stephen King? And I had not, I was 23, 24. I had never read a Stephen King book and I got Salem's lot and blew through it and cannot believe. I just didn't know books like that existed. And then I read, I blew through the rest of his, I'm still not done with all of them. I think I've got about 10 left, but I read, uh, it was another big one for me that just blew my mind. A long list from him. But anyway, I started reading Stephen King and that led me into trying to write. And then I put it down for a while because I was learning how to be a lawyer. I was a public defender. I was working all the time. And then when we, when we moved back to Huntsville, I had there was a period where I couldn't work because I had to retake the bar because your law license doesn't transfer from Florida right. to Alabama. So you got I had to take it again. So I had all this extra time. And I still had – it's not Black Echoes. This is another book that I shelved because I just was never happy with it. But I started working on it. It didn't work out. And then in 2018-ish, I had the initial ideas for Black Echoes, And I had read uh, Stephen King's On Writing. And that really gave me the, because I don't have an English degree or anything like that. But that gave me the framework to, I just basically tried to, <laughs> what, as far as his work <laughs> ethic. Because he's kind of got like a blue collar ethic with the way oh, he yeah. writes. And I really like that. Um, where you just, you sit down, even if you're not feeling like it. And you try to get the the words out, and sometimes you know it is it's garbage, it's not good, or but just trying to do the work and just keep going through it. I really like that idea because that's how it was. I was when I was learning how to play drums because it just took forever to figure. Uh, I'm still figuring it out. It's it's one of those things that I don't think I'll ever be satisfied with But So I started just sitting down every day trying to write, and uh, Black Echoes was really just a product of me trying to learn how to write. And also trying to write a story that I would want to read because I like I like the blending of crime and horror fiction. I love yeah. that. And I love darker, like S.A. Cosby's books, like crime fiction that's got oh, that darker
0: yeah,
2: element to it. Um, and like Don Winslow is a really popular crime writer, he, like the Cartel Trilogy and some of the stuff he's done. I, re- I really like books like that where those guys, you could tell, had an appreciation for darker elements like you'd see in a horror novel and they didn't pull punches. And I, I, so I wanted to take that and blend it with, just blend those worlds. That's how black echoes got rolling.
0: I think you blend those worlds really well in black echoes. Um, You know, I, I talked a lot with Jeremy as I was reading through the book uh, for my first time and, you know, your introduction, that first, the first kind of section of the first echo um, is, is total crime novel and it is incredibly compelling. And, and that kind of seed of the crime fiction, I think follows through a lot of the rest of the book in a way that propels the plot forward without leaving the characters or the characterization behind. Um, I read a lot of noir fiction and a lot of, you know, kind of like hard case crime imprint stuff. Sure, yeah. Um, which I think is is really great. And they they really know how to do, you know, kind of like the 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 pot boilers, you know, like the real plot heavy stuff that just kind of propels you through. Um, but I was impressed in kind of that marriage of some of the darker horror elements, which we'll talk about in a little bit, um, but also the way that you keep kind of that pacing with uh crime fiction uh and, and really center it on characters and character decisions so that it it always feels like you know the characters are, are a little bit out of control in that they keep making bad decisions that ties in with that you know kind of crime undercurrent of the plot it was it's really clever is what I'm saying.
2: I appreciate it. Now I pacing my mom my mom and I, I share books and she's she loves dark thrillers that's her thing she she mows through them she'll read two or three weeks sometimes and I started reading she turned me on to writers she she leaned like she likes more popular and commercial writers like um like Karen Slaughter and yeah. Harlan Coben Linwood Barclay list goes on Christian yeah and she started sharing more of those with me and kind of like I alluded to earlier at first I not knowing what to read and having these ideas from school, like, well, you should read these books and not these books. And no, you know. And but my mom was giving me these books. I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna give these a shot. And I read them, read Karen Slaughter, read Harlan Cove, and I really enjoyed them. And I really enjoyed them in those thrillers, there's such a mastery of pacing. And even if, you know, in a lot, you know, sometimes with those, sometimes with the plot, you're kind of left wanting more or You know that sometimes, like you said, maybe they don't give you as much of that character as you wanted, but you're always—they're not wasting a page. Like everything is there for a reason, and I wanted to try to bring that to Black Echoes, where if if something was going to go in, I needed it needed to be justified. It didn't need to slow down the narrative moving forward, and of course, unfortunately, it's a narrative where it's a descent. It's not a, (laughs) but I wanted I wanted to make sure that the pacing kept the reader entertained because it could have you know with an addiction i think and i've read other styles of taking it on like you know like the secret history by donna Tartt deals with addiction and it's a much it was a much different way of presenting it but i was just as compelled during that book and enjoyed it but it went much more cerebral and, than my book does about psychologically what addiction did to some particular one of the characters in that book but I I, so I wanted I wanted to get into addiction but I I also wanted to give it that propulsive pacing of a thriller
0: so what do you think is kind of the appeal of a crime novel um because I I think it I think these books are really compelling, right? And it's not just about the plot. I think there's something else in a crime novel that really connects us. Um or or at least connects us to the the subject matter. You know, whether it be true crime or, you know, like a hard case crime or a noir or sure. you know some of these more commercial crime fiction. You know, what do you think is really if there is any one element that that we're kind of drawn to? But but what is it that draws us and hooks us with these stories of you know characters kind of doing the thing that we all know we shouldn't be doing
2: honestly I think it has this it feels like it could happen like you feel there's a there's a rawness to it and a reality to it that I think like you mentioned true crime it's like this stuff does happen you know it's and so I think it's really it's relatable in that sense but it's also it's you get to because this stuff happens every day all sorts of crimes happen every day violent crimes awful crimes and it's like when you when you're reading a crime novel or a true crime memoir or whatever it may be it's like you get to brush up against like you said characters making decisions you wouldn't normally make in your life like no i'm not <laughs> I'm not gonna try the heroin you know no i'm not burglarizing this out so you know, it's, maybe it's cathartic in that way, where you you get to kind of, at least in your imagination, brush up or touch the taboo, Mm. but you get to walk away and put the book down and know, well, I'm not going to prison. I'm not, 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 cops aren't after me. So, and I think maybe that's, now that I'm saying that, maybe that's why I think crime fiction and horror can be married together, is horror is about the same thing. It's about getting to put the book down and know you're not yeah, slasher's not chasing me. I feel bad for, <laughs> feel really bad for that person that you know, just got their arm cut off. But yeah, I'm you know <laughs> have another beer. I'm good. Um, but yeah, so I think. But the other for me with crime fiction too is I feel comfortable in that world because of what I do for a living and having represented so many people that struggle with addiction and, and I didn't get too deep into it, but. I, represented people in Florida that went to prison and were often visiting clients in jail all the time. So I felt like I could, especially for my first time out trying to get it right. I felt like I could handle that because of my experience working. And also, I guess another reason is just a lot of the movies I grew up on, like, uh, you know, movies like heat and Oh, sure. Really good crime fiction movies, you know, Goodfellas, and the list goes on. But I, I love, I love those movies. I love those books. I like that world, and so I, I just felt comfortable jumping into that water.
0: Sure, yeah, I think it's a really interesting genre for for a lot of reasons, and I bring up the question because I think that you know, oftentimes we wonder about like, what, what is the attraction of horror, right? Like, why would you want to wallow in someone's uh, bad circumstances? Or, you know, why would you want to think about the super dark or crazy or creepy stuff? Um, But I think that there is something to these fictions, right, that like allegorize an experience for us, they allow us to kind of think of things. I think crime fiction, for me, is one of those kind of avenues of reading that, presents to me kind of different circumstances like to my relative life of privilege you know if I may yeah and I I think that it it is just interesting from kind of that humanistic kind of lens I find that the crime fiction that works best for me is not the crime fiction where I'm just like yeah let's anarchy all over the place you know or something like that um but it's really kind of the stories about human beings being pushed into extreme circumstances, just like in a lot of horror, it's human beings pushed to extreme circumstances. And as a result, they have to make a set of decisions that maybe you might know with your resources, you know, or you might know with your privileges, how you would work your way out of that situation. But these characters don't necessarily have that same luxury. And they make decisions that are I think internally consistent with the way that they feel the world is right, and that's Absolutely. kind of like the tragedy there in in some of this crime fiction, and at least what I get most invested in. You know, like I love rooting for an underdog. Of course, um, I love uh, looking at you know the the guy who's on drugs who's like, I got to go, you know, rob this house to get my next fix, and it's like. You're doing the wrong thing, but I'm also rooting for you for some reason to like get away with it. Yeah.
2: You know, and I think the novel, which I actually have not read the novel. I've read another Chuck Hogan's novels, but the movie, The Town, based on his book. Yeah, I think brilliantly explores that because Ben Affleck's character, I mean, they were robbing banks. It's very scary. They're traumatizing people. They're victimizing people, but you, you find yourself rooting for this guy because, you know, his dad's in prison and his dad raised him in a bad way and he was this hockey star and he had, he doesn't make any hockey and he has to go see this florist who's just an evil dude. And he, you know, he's the leader of this crew and he's trying to hold it together and he's trying so hard to get out. He just wants out so badly. And, but then when you start thinking about it, it's like, wait a second, this guy's not a good dude. Like, what, what am I talking about? like You know, but it just, it humanizes it in a way where you do start it. And I like that. I like the messiness of that. And I, I, that's some of the characters in my book are obviously they're very flawed. They make bad decisions. They're messy, but I I like, you know, they're real like, because Mm -hmm. truth is, and I've seen it and it's again, a lot of this is just born out of what I've done for a, a long time now is that people think they'll, behave a certain way given a set of circumstances and like no i would never do that and i've tried a lot of cases i've been a part of a lot of cases and the truth is you just you don't know what you do it's comforting to think you would always make the right call but you know good people can make bad decisions and mm. that's 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 another reason i like crime fiction is just uh another guy dennis Lehane, does it brilliantly like in mystic river and he always explores that, just the moral complexity of because a lot of times crime fiction gets presented as you got good, good guys and bad guys, mm. and you know, cops versus robbers. And uh, Dennis Lehane's brilliant at getting into just how morally complex situations like that can be. And that there's not necessarily you think there's just just perfectly carved right path that you're going to walk down mm. and make the right decision. And along, you know, he's so good at along the way. Just no, it's just not that easy. You get presented with all these different obstacles, and it's it can get messy really fast.
0: Yeah. So, I I feel like we should probably talk about Black Echoes. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. In 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 some concrete terms, you know, as sure, as yeah. as a, Just kind of circling around it. Um, what? So what's the story of Black Echoes for for those of our listeners who have not yet picked up this book?
2: So the. I guess the, the spoiler-free take is, like you already mentioned, it opens with the character Everett Grant, and it's 1985. He's in a fictional town of Hermitage, Alabama, and he's struggling with addiction, and him and a crew of people, his, his friends, they're not really his friends. They all just use together, and they, they commit crime together to keep using, and they embark on this robbery that just goes horribly wrong. Uh, but in in the midst of it, Everett discovers he has a son, Hank, and he decides to try to raise Hank the best he can. So they move. He wants to get out of his, his he's been in Hermitage, Alabama, small town, and sent to in all his life. So he moves them to South Florida. And the book, and the majority of the book takes place years later, where him and Hank are living in South Florida and had some great years. Everett owns a restaurant, and Hank is trying to make it in a band, a metal band called Dead Children's Playground, as a drummer and things he gets in this horrible car crash and gets prescribed opiates and in in short order becomes addicted to them which leads him down a dark path and crime happens and eventually he gets to this this guy which if you read it the the black-eyed man who's is not to be crossed (laughs) you shouldn't do not steal from this guy (laughs) So that that's kind of it in a nutshell.
0: Yeah, I um oh gosh, this book does so many things so well. <laughs> I I really I really love it. Um, I I want to spoil the heck out of it, but I I really know that I shouldn't. Um, I I do want to to circle in on this, you know, kind of idea of um the title, you know, being black echoes and and yeah. what that kind of represents. Um, because this book is about you know, two men fighting against their addiction. Um, and I think that the the way that you've kind of framed the book in these kind of reverberations, if you will, of addiction and cycles of addiction. So I, I want to open the floor to you a little bit to talk about, you know, what this novel kind of means to you in terms of that dimension of it.
2: Well, and you're right with... And actually, like we were talking about earlier, when I initially came up with the Echoes concept, which I I stumbled into as I was writing. But by the time I was done, I felt like it worked was not to give too much away. But initially, when I thought of it, it was tied into the black eyed man's just crazy, just, you know, bad shit philosophy (laughs) about time and space. And if you read it, you'll get to hear his his dissertation on how he Feels like he can bend time and space, and so that that's where the idea had come. But particularly Hank and Everett's relationship, because at heart it's a it's a father son story, and about how, and we're talking about these messy characters, Everett, in particular. It's how he's gotten a lot wrong, but he really loves his son, and he's really trying to get that part of his life right. But addiction, like you mentioned, it echoes through the generations and unfortunately you know if you, your family's got a history of alcoholism you are more predisposed to become an alcoholic if same and unfortunately the same holds for mental illness if you have family members that have suffered from things like schizophrenia there you are there's a higher likelihood you might if you come generations to you might get it and I wanted to explore the idea of despite this flawed guy and he's trying so hard to get it right he's been a good dad for so many years when they're down in florida but that addiction is just such a just a monster that you can do and i've watched people clients i've represented and unfortunately people uh close to me the people around them because i think the idea is always that the people around somebody who's struggling with addiction aren't trying you know sometimes you see a trope and, mm. and shows and stuff that it's and it does happen that this person struggling with addiction just has nothing but uh, shitty people around them that's not always the case like sometimes they're actually surrounded by people in love and care about them and really are trying to help them but it's it's just not that simple addiction is such a it it's it's harsh and it doesn't people uh, uh, you know a lot of this is rooted in just representing clients like that, that addiction just overwhelms everything else and even if when they periods are i've gotten to talk to them where they're sober and they're in recovery and them realizing that they knew at the time they're making the wrong decision but and the, the book explores the idea of an er- inertia like addiction having its own inertia and it's like it's just like this slow this descent and they know things are going wrong and they could they could make a decision to stop it but that that addiction they have is just just bigger than them and mm. but there's a good person in there it's just and i i wanted to the idea with the echo and the cyclical nature of addiction explore the idea of, despite Everett cleaning up his life and doing right by hank and being a good dad being there for him getting him his first drum set he did everything right but unfortunately with the nature of addiction and mm. That the psychology of somebody who's struggling with addiction—it's—it's it's really sad and it's heartbreaking. But being there and doing right by them sometimes just isn't enough. They still can't stop that addiction.
0: You bring up a really interesting idea that I want to kind of circle into, and it's this idea of the way that media presents addiction and and kind of um, media as art you know, representing it back to us and the kind of coded messages that we get about addiction as a result. I think that, you know, wrapping into this idea too, of, of like um, the, the black eyed man's approach to art, which is very singular. And I I won't spoil too much of that dissertation, you know, but I, I think that there is, there is an art that can build or rebuild, an art that can rehabilitate, and then there is an art that can be very destructive, you know, an art that is is just not good for the soul. And I wonder how often we run into representations of drugs or representations of addiction in media that can do both, you know, like when do we have a representation of addiction that has the capacity to rehabilitate. And when do we see addiction represented in a way that absolutely just does more harm to those who are already affected you know, badly by addiction? So sure. what are some of your thoughts on this kind of role of art and how we see it play out? in our society? And and how do you think that Black Echoes addresses this concept of, you know, kind of art as rehabilitation?
2: Well, and I I, sh- I should have said it earlier, but I think it's important for me to say, because I do heavily explore the theme of addiction in this book, I myself do not struggle with addiction. And I think it's important. I, I don't want anybody to have that misconception because that's sure. not fair to people that are struggling with it. And yeah, I have friends in recovery, really proud of them. And that's, that's a hard road. And so I never want to give the impression that I want to do right by them. You know, that, that's not, yeah. so I just want to make sure that's clear. But what I wanted to do is to your point about, I, I get frustrated with sometimes the way media characterizes it. And maybe I, I don't, I can't think of a movie offhand, but maybe something that's a little more like a feel good story about addiction. I don't have a ready example, but I, I get frustrated with a one dimensional view of something that I feel like is a very complex thing. And that's from the outside looking in. And it's, this is mostly informed by my experiences with my clients and just representing so many. I mean, I don't have to tell you all that the criminal justice system is full of people struggling with addiction. That's <laughs> right. that's not, that's not news to anybody, but the more I learned, because I was as green as it comes when I started, but the more I learned about it and the more I, I was exposed to it. I felt like, well, this is being presented to me sometimes as this one-dimensional problem, which is getting better. You know, views on addiction are changing. The way in our political discourse, Yeah, things are changing on that front, not as fast as I'd like them to, but there is new conversations are happening, which is good. But I just, I felt like it was, or I feel like it's a complex issue. So the only thing I wanted to do is be as careful as I could to present it as three-dimensional rather than one dimensional and and just as try to portray it as real to me, what I had seen just as as real as I could and raw. And I think a lot of times with addiction, I don't want to spoil anything in the book, but that that's why I got into that idea of addiction and inertia, those ideas, because I think people view these as like there's these discrete moments where people make these decisions and that's why they're not now an addict and that's why they're going on to commit crime and I just didn't see it that way I think it's much more of this it's this descent and the you know, the train's moving and it's just once that train's moving it's so hard it's just so hard to stop and I you know I don't know if I'm explaining myself right but that's I just don't think it's as clear cut as sometimes the media portrays it and sometimes movies or TV or whatever portray it. Because I think a lot of my clients and a lot of people that are struggling with addiction, they feel like they're just kind of being pushed along and controlled by this thing that they they just don't, they cannot control. And I sympathize with them. Now, like, honestly, I mean, obviously, if you, if you commit a crime and you plead guilty, you know, you're still going to face some kind of punishment. But I had always, I empathized and sympathized with that of like, man, that they just got this thing inside of them that's just eating them up. And they're trying to deal with that. But then they're also still trying to pay their utility bill. They're trying to show up to court on time or they're, and I just, I don't know. I could feel, it's like I could just feel them being pushed by this thing. And when they would, in periods where I would have fortunate enough to have a client that would uh, finish rehab and I'd get to talk to them when they had uh, sobered up or were in recovery, or even sometimes clients in jail that after being there for months, they had gone through a long period of sobriety. They were just regular, I don't this idea that, A lot of people in the jails to me, because I go in there and meet them, you know, it's just not the way it's portrayed on TV. That just hasn't been my experience. It's just people.
1: Um, JB, I, I wanted to jump on that too. You make a great point there because I think what you're saying with how the media and pop culture kind of showcases addiction is to me also how like they vilify mental illness, you know? it's yeah. like the person's a criminal in these police procedurals because they're an addict or because they're mentally ill and that's not the case it's you know so yeah. no i'm I'm just trying to to like sympathize here with with what you're saying i just i felt like the need to jump in with that
2: no no i agree i I've, I've got a real distaste for the word criminal yeah. I've, I've always <laughs> disliked that since i started this work it's like well, he's a criminal it's like and like mm-hmm. trevor mentioned earlier how Characters in crime novels view the world through their circumstances and their lens. Some of the stories from people I've represented, the way they grew up, things, things that happened to them, things that were done to them, just horrible, horrible things. The idea that you would come out of that and view the world the way I view it, having grown up uh, in a, a great household, in a great neighborhood, great parents there for me, still there for me to this day, which I'm very fortunate and grateful for. But I just, to judge somebody i represent who the reason one of the reasons i'm representing them oftentimes is because they can't afford an attorney I, I i don't feel like me and that person should be judged by the same standard because we don't view the world in the same way and that i'm not that's not a, a dig against them right that's just i don't i get frustrated sometimes because i feel like the media and the system don't recognize things like that especially with mental illness
0: i mean well, and I mean, you, you know, you both bring up really great points and you, especially JB, you know, there is this sense that if we just attach the word criminal to someone, then society can absolve its, uh, obligation to that person. Right. And I think that crime fiction, at, at least certain kinds of crime fiction, I think police procedurals are really bad at this, but I think certain kinds of crime fiction are at least able to kind of address that particular issue, you know, to say that the circumstances surrounding some of these people are really much bigger than they are, and that we don't really understand the whole scope of a life or this, the whole scope of how this system, this society that we've put into place fails people regularly but rather than take on the responsibility for that failure, it's like we can just attach a label like criminal to a, to a person and wash ourselves from any yeah. of that responsibility.
2: Yeah. It's like, yeah, you get here. We're going to pin the scarlet letter on you. And now you're, yeah, we're going to vote you off the island. And, you know, and obviously I'm not, I, I represent people charged with all sorts of crimes and, most of what I was addressing in Black Echoes is not because I represent clients on homicide cases and capital murder cases and things like that, and those are very serious cases. Black Echoes to me was more about I've, I've got a just a, always had a huge chunk of clients that fall somewhere in the middle, and they're committing petty drug crime, petty thefts to feed their addiction. They usually have they usually have some form of mental illness too, uh, and they really need. Unfortunately, we just don't have the infrastructure for it, but they need to be in a dual diagnosis treatment program that can address both of the problems. Lots of clients with that. And I wanted, that's really with Hank and what he goes through. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to ex- explore that. Those clients that, of mine, that are charged with lower level felonies and misdemeanors. And they're just really, they're getting arrested a lot because they're just, hopelessly addicted to whatever it might be meth heroin now fentanyl mm-hmm. and that that's because i i felt like the system and still feel like the system not only fails those people but is failing broader society because we're really not at least in my opinion we're not getting that part of, that part of it right at all those <laughs> pe- people that are committing lower level crimes like that don't just need to be languished away in jails and prisons that's not helping anybody
0: yeah So tying into this conversation about art and, and talking about the way that art can kind of interrogate some of these systems, or at least our perception of these systems, right? Um, Heavy metal plays a big role in this particular book. And I kind of wanted to open up a little bit of a conversation too, um, with you both as musician and as author, you know, heavy metal i think comes with a lot of kind of countercultural components too it's like yeah. you know it's it's very like rage against the machine you know it's it's all about pushing back against these unfair or or unequal systems in a kind of countercultural way wrapped up in music so let's dig in just a little bit about you know kind of your philosophy about music what what music speaks to you as an artist um both musician and writer and how heavy metal is represented in this book both as kind of cultural and countercultural element
2: um you know and i agree with you about the obviously there's the countercultural element to metal which i think it has in common with punk they kind of share that that element is prevalent in both very prevalent in punk and obviously in metal too i think politics are probably a little more prevalent in punk especially early punk than metal metals more con- or at least early on I was just concerned about everything to do with the devil but
0: <laughs> yeah that was, the, that
2: was the way they were going to scare people is you know <laughs> say bad stuff about the bible but <laughs> yeah I think you know one of the reasons I was drawn to metal I, I stumbled on the metal I'd already gotten into music I was a teenager and this was back when you could actually you actually physically went into the cd store and they had listening stations, and I would watch MTV to try to find new music, but that only got me so far, and there was a really cool group of people that worked at this CD store I love, CD warehouse, and I would just ask, they were in their 20s, and they were always wearing cool sh- shirts, you know, like Tool and Red Out Shade Peppers. They seemed like they knew what was going on. So I would ask them, like, what do I need to listen to? And they turned me on to stuff like... I I didn't know who Tool was. I knew they had the really creepy videos on MTV. They said, you should try. I'd heard of Metallica. So, of course, you you need to listen to Pantera. And that was a big moment as a drummer. I put on Pantera, Far Beyond Driven. just blew my mind because I was trying to learn how to play drums. And Vinnie Paul is such a good drummer. And that was, uh, I mean, as a drummer, if you listen to enough metal or listen to a lot of metal, it's easy to see why drummers would love it. It's 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 like a drummer's paradise with the double bass and all the fills, and drummers get to go nuts in metal songs. Uh, so it's real decadent in that sense for for drummers. But to get to your point about the counterculture, I was, as a kid, I, re- I really didn't get in trouble. I I made good grades at school. I didn't really try to do what was expected of me. And I think metal for me, but I still, like any kid, I, I would, I'd get angry, I'd get frustrated but I would internalize a lot of it because I felt like there was this expectation that I needed to you know, I need to follow the rules. I need to make sure, you know, I don't want my parents to get mad at me. Mm-hmm. I don't want my teachers to be pissed at me. And I really liked how in metal it's like, oh, you can get angry and write <laughs> these angry songs and have these angry lyrics. It's okay. It's like it's not illegal. It's and it's celebrated. Like people love it. And I just thought that was so cool that you could express anger in an artistic way and it was okay because if you just get angry during the day at the grocery store or something, you get angry in a meeting, you know, you get, you know, somebody's going to call the cops or you're going to get fired. <laughs> but if you, um, in a creative way, if you express your anger and try to make it in a form where other people can relate to it and it can bring people together, that really spoke to me. I, re- I really liked that idea. And I mean, I just, and I just loved it. I mean, I just love that visceral, just kind of dangerous. It just, when you hear a good metal song, it's it's just like it cannot be ignored. It's like you are going to listen to us, or you're going to turn it off. But you're not just going to get to have a conversation. Like you're going to go one way or the other. And I just I really like that, um, and still do to this day, obviously. But um, so I think. But I, I will say because I I uh, I was thinking about this question, and I'll say the one thing. Kind of like we we're talking about how uh, addiction can be portrayed in a way that I think can be misleading. We'll say the one thing about metal that I don't think is portrayed in the right way, at least based on my experience, uh, is that when you go to all the metal concerts I've been to over the last decade, I mean, and I've been to all sorts of concerts. I've been, I've seen all kinds of bands. I mean, you name it um, festivals, Bonnaroo, I've seen jam bands, been to rap shows, everything in between, jazz, whatever. And the metal shows I've been to, you talk about some of the nicest people on the planet. And some of the most welcoming people <laughs> on the planet, which you know, I think it's like it's always portrayed like, oh, dark hair and tattoos and piercing. It's scary, you know. No, it's just garbage. It's some of the most welcoming. It's and in, in, uh, in the same way horror is. It's like this cool yeah. community of people that because there's that counterculture element to it. Some people, you know, because I'm sure you all have had the experience too. Like with horror, same thing happens with metal if you like it. Like somebody will look at you like, why would you want to listen to the guy screaming? Like, why would you want? <laughs> you like that Are you not, you know, you're crazy. And it's so cool when you go to those shows or like when you go, uh, you know, on book talk or, and you connect with other people that like horror books and you realize like, no, you're not crazy. You know, this is, this stuff is really <laughs> cool. And like, you like this too. Like, yeah. You know, to me, I, and I think metal and horror are siblings. I really do. I think.
0: Oh yeah. Um,
2: that they obviously mesh well together. Um, but that, that's the one thing I will say. I, I don't think, metal gets a fair shake as far as the fan base, because there's good people. I took my son. I don't know if you guys know Mastodon. um, Oh, sure. Yeah. Probably my favorite band of all time. And I think they get a shout out in the book somewhere in there. Um, And uh, I took my son to his first concert when he was, he's 11 now. I took him when he was nine. We went up to the Ryman in Nashville and great venue. Highly recommended if you've never been there. The band comes through you like. And it was so cool. uh, And he insisted y'all like this because you know everybody's heard of like you know you don't wear the t-shirt of the band you're going to see to the concert <laughs> my son just dismissed that he's like no dad we have to wear well that that's crazy you have to wear the band you're going to see <laughs> and so like we had our Mastodon t-shirts ready um and he was so excited and when we got there you know I was a little he, he's nine so I got him right next to me you know I'm making sure and you know I figured it was safer because when I went to concerts as a kid I mean, he could still smoke inside you know there was mm. all yeah. Yeah. things have changed we get in there and like everybody's giving them fist bumps like hey dude is this your first show and like <laughs> birch guy gave him some free stuff and you know and that's so one of the things i had not known when i was a kid to round out your question is the metal community to me is 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 incredibly welcoming and positive mm. and i think sometimes it gets portrayed because yeah i mean the songs still it, yeah there's a lot of lyrics that deal with dark themes and tragedy and all sorts of stuff that's that's start but that i don't think that's why for, like similar to horror i think people are going there to heal and to know that they're not by themselves and whatever is going on mm. and find that community and then once you're there it's like a you know it's positive it's a, a celebration and that's why they were so excited to see my son there because like they got to see like oh this is going to continue you know this is <laughs> like this won't be over this will keep going and Sorry, I could talk about music forever. No, but... I,
0: I, I love it. I love hearing about, um, you know, people's passion for, for any form of art. You know, I, I feel very much that art is intended to be shared, right? Like we need that communal exper- experience yeah. because it, it contributes so much to our lives. We wouldn't have these huge, you know, kind of multi-million dollar franchise, storytellers, you know, like we wouldn't have these huge multimedia companies if there wasn't a need for story, you know, a need for art, a need for whatever it is, a need for this expression. And I think that that expression cannot exist in a vacuum. And so, yeah, it's so important that we are able to participate in community. And it's also so important that we're able to like share that with people that we care about, you know, people that we love. Um, Weirdly enough, Black Echoes existing as a book uh, is in part because of this feeling of wanting to share a community around literature. Um, Jeremy will talk about it a a whole bunch, I'm sure, if we poke him, but... you know, his his whole hope for Slay House and starting Slay House was to find that community of readers, to find that community of writers and bring the two of them together so that we can share amazing stories, that we can, you know, kind of like share our art and, you know, kind of celebrate it together to have the kinds of conversations that we're having. I think that's such an important part of the experience of art. I totally
2: agree. I mean, I think that's, I guess there's a reason book clubs exist, right? And book groups exist is because yeah. it's finish a book or you finish listening to an album. Um, you know, you you want to talk about it with somebody, or that's a lot of times now I just take to the the internet, which isn't always good, but you know, reading reviews only goes so far because if you really like something and then you read a review that trashes it, you're like, well, that, you know, <laughs> you want to talk to somebody that, yeah, you know, find something that, <laughs> but no, I agree. I, I think, I think art, is communal, and there's something so just comforting and healing and cathartic about knowing that other people, not only that, especially like horror and metal, when you're dealing with darker themes, and maybe you're going through something, and that's why you found this book, or you, you just were interested in reading about a, a darker theme like that, but there's just something to me that's very comforting about knowing that it's, somebody else is engaging with that, and you're not by yourself, and that the you know, other people love this form of art too and that they're they're coming there to heal just like you and I I don't know it's because I'm not like the biggest you know I don't I don't golf (laughs) you know I don't like you know (laughs) know, and I I like I you know I live in Alabama so obviously I watch college football but I only played one year of football growing up I'm you know and I know you guys are (laughs) Arkansas guys so condolences but um Eagle to me like The way I know some of my friends feel about like something like Alabama football or, uh, you know, something that's the way I feel about like uh, books and music. Mm. And, you know, that's that's where I want to be. So it's always cool to find other people that want to be in that spot, too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jeremy, was there anything that you wanted to follow up with?
1: You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm sitting back and I'm listening to you guys. And I think about, you know, you prompted me to wonder why I started Slayhouse and why we're doing this. And it's like, I it is a community, for me, art at its very basic foundation. So this could be music or painting or, or literature or whatever, what have you. It is so, it, it's a mirror, right? It's a, it's mimetic. It's, it's turning that lens back on ourselves as humanity and I think, JB, this is why, you know, I fell in love with your book when you when you submitted it to us was I saw the humanity in the story. And, you know, to your point, horror and heavy metal. And for me, I'm, I, I mean, I, I like aspects. I do like heavy metal. I also like punk and grunge. Um, yeah, that was kind of my my genre. But they all they're they're all like almost, you know, heavy metal is definitely to me like the the, the more outlandish kind of cousin but you know, punk and grunge are standing—you know, not not right at their shoulder with heavy metal, but they're you know they're kind of right behind them, you know. And yeah. you know, um, I do. I I think about how how these things speak to us and speak to um, our nature as humanity and our you know and some of these darkest kind of moments, you know. And that's what I saw in your book. I saw that you know, to me, it is as much a story about addiction as it is you know this horror novel or this crime thriller. And it's also at the very, at the very foundational level, it is a story about a father and son and family relations Mm. and just the shit we do for our family and we go through for our family. And that's, I think that's, that's what drug me in. And just the, the way the, the conventions that you use to explore these themes are married so well within the 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 prose of the book i feel like um it was just a story that i wanted Slayhouse to tell and i want us to I'm, I'm very proud of this this title very proud of it
2: oh yeah obviously I'm, i appreciate it man i i'm glad y'all connected with it and um now and, and obviously now you nailed the themes i mean when you when you break it down to the the most basic components it's it's really it's about Everett and hank but oh, then man. um but it yeah, I, I guess just because, and really the cool thing about writing it for me is really just, this is stuff I like anyway. So it's like, <laughs> you know, it's more like trying not to write too much about metal music or a drum set and remember, <laughs> like, I need to tell the story here. And so, you know, some of it was just fun, but I do think that there, like, like Jeremy just mentioned, there's, I think it's because the way we take in media, especially media about music or movies, everything gets put in a genre and gets put in mm. its box and then it you know, but sometimes it's 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 like Jeremy just talked about, like punk, grunge and metal all have young guy, young guys and girls getting in bands and wanting to, like, put the middle finger up and just, <laughs> just done with it. And they just want to express themselves. And that runs through all that, music, uh, mm-hmm. you know, despite regardless of genre. And I think um, and I was thinking about this a lot as I was writing this and just I had this. I, cause I was putting music in one box and I was putting books in one box and movies in one box. And I just realized it's like, wait, no, that's not, that's not right. They're just, these are all the same ideas. It's just, it's what that artist feels like confident about and what they're passionate about in, in regard to the medium. It's like, how, what medium are they going to choose? Is, is it a guitar or is it a camera? Is it, cause they're, it's all this you know, those same themes are there. It's just more like, how are you going to tell the story? And so I do agree that uh, all these things are related. It's just, it's a difference in medium.
0: Yeah. Well, as we kind of wrap up here, um, for people who are interested in following more of your thoughts and adventures, where can they find you online? Uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. um,
2: I'm on Twitter, Facebook. I've got a website. And each of those, if you type in J.B. McLaurin, some of them, because the names were already taken, like sometimes it's McLaurin, J.B., but if you type it in, it should come up. And obviously the book's on Slayhouse's website. It's available on Amazon. And uh, yeah, I hope people give it a shot. It's it's obviously something that means a lot to me. I'm really glad it meant a lot to y'all too. And it, um I think the main or at least my main goal with it was to try to tell that father son story with addiction running through it, but try to tell it in a way that was just as honest and real as I could make it, which, you know, you'll have to read it. But, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't even want to give away anything in the an ending, but, you know, I just I wanted it to feel real and I, I didn't want it to feel like a fairy tale or like a film good. Mm. I wanted it to try to be true to life. So if that's that's the kind of story you're looking for. I'd, I'd love to, you know, anybody out there that wants to give it a shot, Black Echoes. Um, and yeah, I guess so.
0: <laughs> yeah, I will attest uh, to those of you who are listening, if you've followed through this conversation, this is a great book. um I'm not saying that just because we're attached to Slay House. I really believe, as a reader, this book really uh, scratched an itch that i needed and um provoked a lot of really interesting thoughts um it's a fantastic book so uh thank you jb thank you for for sharing your time with us thank you for coming on the show thank you be- for being so open and honest and thank you for sending your book to slayhouse and trusting us with it it really is quite good um I'm glad you, I'm still glad y'all said yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's very, uh, no, no. I'm, hey, I'm, I'm very thankful and I hope more people find it. And I hope, you know, it is, it is a harsh story at points. Um, and I, I like, kind of like you said, I'd love to talk more about it, but it's really hard to do that without giving away. Um, you know, it's a harsh story at points, but I really do hope that people can read it and come away kind of like I get to with with music metal music and books coming away, um feeling a little bit better about something they might be going through. But it is, it's dark, it's harsh, but there's there's a big old beating heart in it.